Our unison reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 11. In this passage, Paul warns the Corinthians about a false security or really a spiritual pride when it comes to temptation to sin and especially uh, temptation to the sin of participating in idolatry. The Christians uh, of, Corinth, of Corinth were thinking that they were immune to sin and temptation and God's discipline because God's grace had been so free and, and wonderful and rich to them in Christ and because of the glorious realities of the Christian liberty that they enjoyed in Jesus Christ. They made the mistake of thinking that they didn't need to take sin seriously. In a very self-focused view of the whole issue, they were making the classic mistake that because grace abounds, I don't have to worry about sin. I don't have to take it seriously. I don't have to worry about temptation. And of course, we know the reality is, is that because of God's grace, we know all the more that God hates sin and that he despises it. And that he will discipline his children when they fall into it for their well-being and for their good, according to his wisdom. And that this is all, in fact, because of the grace of God. So Paul's having to work with the Corinthians on this issue, this spiritual pride, this false security about sin. And Paul makes his point by drawing a parallel between the Old Testament nation of Israel in the wilderness journeys and the New Testament believers experience in the church. The Old Testament people of Israel had experienced amazing feats of God's grace and power and redemption in liberating them from their captors and from their bondage. And yet, Paul reminds us, God was not pleased with many of them because of their carelessness and because of their sin. And so Paul's hermeneutic here is interesting in making this comparison. We do want to notice that. Uh, But the main idea here is that the Corinthians need to be rebuked for their presumption and their pride. So let's take a look at the text. Let's read it together, and then we'll uh, draw out some things from it. Look at what Paul says here to the Corinthians in this context. He says, Moreover, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. You remember the cloud, the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day, the very presence of God in their midst leading them wonderfully and victoriously into the wilderness and through the wilderness they experienced an amazing display of god's redeeming power and grace in the cloud all passed through the sea you remember the miraculous work of god leading the children of israel through the parting of the red sea a great display of god's saving power all were baptized into moses into the cloud and in the sea They were brought into a covenant relationship with God is the idea that Paul is getting at there. God drew them near to himself. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. The people were given an understanding, at least in part, in type and shadow of Jesus Christ. It was Christ who was with them in the wilderness. And they ate of him and they drank of him in the wilderness, Paul says. He's very bold here here when he says, For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Christ himself was at work in his pre-incarnate state through types and shadows, delivering the children of Israel out of the wilderness. We get this picture of this glorious work of God in salvation and saving grace and power. In the lives of the Israelites. But verse 5, Paul lets the hammer drop. (laughs) But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies 
were scattered in the wilderness. Remember how the scriptures put that so vividly in the Old Testament. Their carcasses fell in the wilderness. and, And I do want to mention just briefly as we read this, we want to be careful about assuming that all of those who fell in the wilderness were unbelievers. That's not the distinction that Paul is making here. There were many people who fell in the wilderness who were believers. We think of Moses and Miriam and Aaron and a host of others who must have been with them. His point here is that God took their sin seriously, even though they did not. And he was willing to discipline them if he was brought to a point that he thought it was what was best for them. And so he's reminding us if you're, although they had experienced this wonderful saving grace and power of God, it did not exempt them from the pursuit of holiness and needing to take those kinds of things seriously. So verse 6, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. That we should not make the same mistake. That we should take sin seriously and sanctification and holiness and purity seriously in our lives. We should take the will of God seriously in our lives is what Paul is saying. And not to become idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, that is to question his goodness towards us in the things that he's ordained for us in worship. Not to tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, which is the fruit of idolatry, really. And the fruit of all sin, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, that is to us in the new covenant. And they were written for our admonition, for our instruction, for our warning and our help and our guide upon whom the end of the ages have come. And there Paul is reminding us that we even experience God's power to a much more wonderful degree and his saving grace and his saving power in Christ Jesus so that we have reason to be encouraged here to take this admonition and to be strengthened by it. So I want to draw out three things from this text. I do want to just review with you quickly the context that Paul is in as he writes these words and sort of contextualize it somewhat. It'll help us as we think about what Paul has written. And then I want us to review the text again and just draw out a few things from it and then take some time uh, very, very briefly to reflect on Paul's use of the Old Testament. And all of this will help put us in a frame of prayer, I trust. So... Let's for a moment consider the context. I know that we don't have time to go into this in depth, but I just want to review it very quickly. Paul, in the context, it starts in chapter 8. It runs all the way through chapter 11, verse 1. Our text is sitting right towards the end and the climax and the high point of his argument. But Paul's dealing with the issue of Christian liberty and especially the issue of eating meat that's been offered to idols. And with the Corinthians, especially eating this meat in the temples themselves. That's the issue. You've got you to remember the context here with the Corinthians. The Corinthians were actually going into pagan temples. They were sitting down and participating in the ritual rites and sacrifices. They were fellowshipping with uh, the unbelievers and the pagans who were in those temples, who were worshipers of the god or the idol that they were worshiping. And, of course, there was all the attendant immorality going on somewhere within the vicinity in the context. And they were, they were walking right into these situations so that they could get the meat that was being offered to the idols. Because <laughs> you, you have to remember, in, in idol worship, I mean, that's the idea. You sacrifice the animal and then you partake of it. So they go into the temple because they make really good steaks and they have great barbecue. And the Christians are saying, the Corinthians, I mean, this is what's happening. The Corinthians are saying to themselves, well, I know that an idol is nothing. And Christ has delivered me from the power of sin and temptation. And I don't have any lust anymore for those sexual and moral practices that are going on in the dark places of this temple. 
And what does it matter if I walk in? All things are good. Christ has given me all things to enjoy. And man, the, the best barbecue you can get in town is at the pagan sacrifice temple. So that's where we go and we can enjoy this. And so they would just walk right in with all the pride that they had and their foolishness. And not at all consider the circumstances that were going on around them. And so Paul has to deal with the Corinthians on this. Christian liberty does not exempt the Corinthians from taking sin seriously, from temptation and the circumstances and from thinking through how they put into practice their Christian liberty. They need to be careful. They need to take care when it comes to issues of sanctification and purity and holiness and the worship of God and the worship uh, of the false worship of idols and taking that seriously. So, in chapter 8, Paul begins with affirming, yes, the Christians at Corinth have Christian liberty. Yes, it is true. Christ has done a wonderful, glorious, gracious work in their lives. He has, in fact, broken the power of sin in their life. Yes, idols are nothing. We have knowledge in Jesus Christ. Paul is not denying any of that. That fundamental piece of their logic is not false. It is true. Nevertheless, it's not the whole matter. (laughs) There are other issues to consider. And Paul is going to bring out for the Corinthians three other things that they need to bring into consideration when they walk into these pagan temples, or really that should keep them from walking into them in the first place. And the first that he reminds them of in chapter 8 is that we have to be considerate of the edification of the brothers, especially the weaker brother, and by that he means new converts. You can just imagine what Paul is thinking of here. Here is a Christian. He decides to go into the pagan temple. He's not thinking that there are pagans who were worshiping in that temple just the prior week who came to Christ and they've been saved and they've been glorious liberate, gloriously liberated. They turn from their idols to worship the true and the living God and then they see the Corinthian church members go right into back into that temple. And the Corinthians are not thinking about the edification of the weaker brother, of the new convert. And the fact that he's going to be tempted to go right back into that temple and right back into those pagan worship and the service of those idols. <clears throat> And they might be drawn right back into the whole thing again anyway. And so Paul is saying, look, you've got to look out for your weaker brother. You've got to be careful about his conscience. You have to be considered beyond the end of your own nose when you put into practice your Christian liberty. We're looking for edification of the brothers here, the edification of the church. Secondly, in chapter 9, he goes on to, to bring up the consideration of the reputation of the gospel. The gospel matters. And the cause of the gospel matter. And Paul uses himself as an example. And he uh, makes sure that the Corinthians understand that even as an apostle, there are liberties that he has that he has foregone. He doesn't take all the liberties that he has. There's, there's, nothing that ha- there's no intrinsic value to enjoying Christian liberty in the Christian life. Uh, that We don't bring more glory to God because we enjoy a liberty than if we forego that liberty. And so he uses himself as an example and says there are many uh, liberties that he himself has forgone for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of its advancement, to send a clear message to those that he preaches to. And so he's exhorting the Corinthians to take these issues into an account. And then finally, and most importantly, and this is what brings us to our passage in chapter 10, our desire to please God matters. This is the other circumstance. What pleases the Lord? And this is what Paul's, this is really what he's aiming at in this whole discussion. Because with the Corinthians, they were just oblivious to this. You remember earlier on in 1 Corinthians, the way that they would boast, they, just, they did not understand the grace of God. They didn't understand the, where the lines were drawn with sin. And so you'll remember early on 
they were boasting because there was a man in their congregation who was in an adulterous affair. I mean, this is the kind of blindness and pride and hardness of heart that the Corinthians had. They were just misapplying the grace of God. They did not understand that God's grace was not an acceptance of sin. It was salvation from it. And so Paul is wanting to remind the Corinthians here that the desire to please God matters. The idolatrous circumstances that they're walking into are important. The reality of their remaining sin is important and a consideration that they have to be taking. They can't just run headlong into dens of sin and temptation under the pretense of Christian liberty. They must take heed lest they fall. And he uses the Old Testament children of Israel in the wilderness as an example to the Corinthians that they should be learning from and being rebuked by. So that's what brings us to our text. And again, we've just read it, but we'll read it again really quickly and we'll bring this out one more time. This is why Paul says here in chapter 10, verse 1, he's shifting to this third point. Our desire to please God ought to matter. Moreover, he says, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Christ worked a wonderful and marvelous salvation for the children of Israel out of bondage to Egypt. And yet, verse 5 With most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Just because the Israelites experienced amazing examples of God's power through Christ and miraculous feats of redemption did not make them immune to sin or to the discipline of God. (laughs) The Corinthians had the spoiled brat syndrome. Uh, many young children have the spoiled brat syndrome. Because dad loves me and, God, and dad accepts me and dad thinks that I'm wonderful and precious and a treasure to him, I can behave however I want. And every good father has to eventually break that, right? Well, this is what God is reminding the Corinthians of through the Apostle Paul here. Yes, God does love them. Yes, God does accept us. Yes, God has done a marvelous work of redemption. Uh, yet his discipline will fall upon us if we break his commandments, if we act in a way that does not please him. And so Paul is helping the Corinthians to to remember this. We have have new hearts in Christ. That's part of Christian liberty too. And we desire to please our Heavenly Father. So we must take care. We must be taking heed because our Father takes sin seriously and he will discipline it if he seems uh, that it's wise to do so. Paul says the Israelite nation was an example to us in verse 6 through 10 because we can make the same mistakes that they did. We struggle with lust like they did and we can fall like they did into the kinds of sins that they fell into. Now again, Paul's here speaking to us as New Testament believers. He's not talking about falling away from salvation, but he is talking about falling away from sanctification. He's talking about falling into gross sin and error as the Corinthians, or as the Old Testament Israelites did. Verse 6, now these things that are written in the Old Testament about the Israelites became our examples. They apply to us, Paul is saying, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted after, and not to become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, which again is related to the idol worship. In the Old Testament, in the wilderness, it was the deception of Balaam 
to send the Moabites and their idols into the camp and, uh, to practice sexual immorality, which attended that idol worship. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In, in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, that is, question Christ's goodness in what he ordains in worship, as some of them tempted him and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, which is the real fruit of idolatry, since idolatry is discontentment and the fruit of discontentment is complaining, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. We are not immune to these same sins. He's telling the Corinthians, you cannot just walk into pagan temples for the sake of the meat. This destroys the whole gospel. It destroys the whole idea of it. We have to be careful. We have to take heed. We have to remember that we have a desire to please our Heavenly Father. (laughs) And we need to do those things that please Him because we can fall just like the Israelites did. And in each of these cases, He gives examples of how God disciplined the nation when they would fall into these sins. See, and it is important in this context to remember that Paul is making a parallel between the nation and the believer. So we don't want to get caught up in all of the bodies that fell necessarily individually, but we do want to see that God was not afraid to strike the nation with a severe blow. Great loss to the nation when they fell into sin. And God will discipline his children when we fall into sin. And we don't want that. We want to please our Heavenly Father. We want to do what he delights in and what he is glad with. And that means taking care to consider the edification of the brothers, the advance of the cause of the gospel, and above all else, our love for the Father himself, to please him and to do what is right in his eyes and not to provoke him to fatherly displeasure. So this is why he says in verse 11 what he says. Here we see God's mercy. Look at how kind God is to bring up this example and to rebuke the Corinthians like he is to the Apostle Paul. He says, now all these things happen to them as examples. The point is, as examples to us, As examples to you, Paul is saying, to you Corinthians. And they were written for our admonition. They're there for our instruction to look at as an example and to see and not make the same mistakes that they made. And to be encouraged by it and taught and instructed by it and moved to repentance by it. And then he uses these words here at the very end, upon whom the end of the ages has come to remind us that the salvation that we enjoy is much greater than the salvation that they enjoyed was. Theirs was a physical release from the bondage to Egypt. Ours is a spiritual release from sin and death and guilt and shame and condemnation and all of those things. And brothers, that's a reason for us to be encouraged that God is with us, that he's faithful, that he will uphold us in the midst of temptation. He will give us a way of escape. And we can be encouraged by that. Our Heavenly Father is with us and he teaches us and he instructs us and he shows us the right way and he's given us new hearts. And we have all of these reasons to be encouraged, which is why Paul, it's not in our unison reading, this is why he goes to the next place in verse 12 and 13. He says, therefore, let him who thinks that he stands, let him who is presuming upon his Christian liberty, take heed, let him be careful, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to men, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Our hope is always in God. It's always in His goodness and in His grace to us. He is our help. He is our stay. He's the one who will give us wisdom when we ask for it. And so let us pursue holiness and sanctification, trusting in His faithfulness. 
resting upon him and the true liberty that we have in Christ. (laughs) And let us be careful about what liberties we take, when and where and how. Let us freely enjoy all the things that Christ has given to us, but let us keep them subordinate to the greater service of the gospel and the edification of the brothers and our desire to please our Heavenly Father. And so we have every reason to be encouraged because of the great grace of God to us in Jesus Christ.